Patience is a virtue, and the best things are worth waiting for. Julie Spira. Welcome to Solving the Financial Puzzle, where we seek to unravel the mysteries of personal finance. Join us as we help you put together the pieces of your own financial puzzle. This is Solving the Financial Puzzle with certified financial planner, Dan Caprell. Welcome to another edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. I am your host, Dan Caprill, where on every episode, we attempt to take what is viewed by many as the complex, the world of personal finance, and break it down in a way to show you that, you know, it's really not that complicated. In fact, the best book of investing, for example, that I've ever read is less than 100 pages. That just shows you how simple this process is. And if you're wondering what that book is, it's called The Investment Answer. And it's by two men, Gordon Murray and Dan Goldie. Excellent, excellent book. I give away lots and lots of copies of that book. So if you're ever looking for something like that that you can literally read in a couple of hours, uh, it's not boring. It's written for the consumer. So it's not like an um, academic book or anything like that. It's, it's written specifically for just regular people. So I strongly recommend you get that. But anyway, that just gets back to the theme of this program. Today we're going to talk about the virtues of boredom, which I know might sound strange. But in the world of personal finance, I think boredom can be very effective. Now, usually boredom is a negative. I understand that. In fact, I want to give you an example of a very boring concert I went to recently. I was, uh, I was going to see The Pretenders. Now, I'm 55, so I am a product of the 70s and 80s. And uh, I went to high school in Cleveland, Ohio. So The Pretenders, Chrissy Hine, The Pretenders, were always a big band for me, largely because uh, she was from that area. And uh, when I was in college at the University of Iowa, that was really when they were coming into their own. And I always just thought Chrissy was like one of the coolest people, the way she handled herself and um, the music, et cetera. Now, Chrissy is now 67, so I really wasn't expecting, you know, much because, you know, she's 67 and, uh, you know, probably most rockers ought to hang it up at some point in time, but I'll give her credit. She, she did her best and she was fighting a cold and she apologized for that. But I think, I think overall she, she did a nice job, but I was bored terribly because none of my favorite songs, well, with a very few exception, were being played. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what, what there's, there's no uh, mystery achievement here, no brass in pocket. I mean, she did play Ohio because the concert was in Ohio, but typical of her, she's not going to appeal to what most people think she should do. And so as a result, I was incredibly bored. But in a lot of things, when it comes to the world of personal finance, actually the boring approach works well, which we're going to talk about in this week's Puzzle of the Week. Maybe I know you, but I want you to take what I'm about to share with you in today's program as not advice, but information, information that you maybe can use in the future for your own purposes, but you need to get professional advice for most of this, all right? So if you'd like to talk to me about that role, we would be more than happy to talk to you. 513-563-PLAN is my number, 513-563-7526, but please, before you take anything that I'm about to tell you to heart, make sure you've run it through the proper filter. Talk to your advisor. I often like to point out to clients that investing with me is going to be a very boring exercise because I don't believe for one second that investment markets are predictable. The returns come when they come 
over time, they've almost always come, particularly if you're diversified. But the whole idea behind having a, a stable portfolio, especially if you're retired, is to have a level of consistency. Now, consistency doesn't mean you're going to get 7% every year, 8% every year. No, I wish it did. It, it's not, all right? But consistency should mean that you don't get, you know, plus 75 one year and minus 50 the next. That's obviously a level of inconsistency. So in a very well-structured portfolio, it's going to be stable. If you charted it on a graph, it would certainly be a wavy line, but it wouldn't be a jagged line. It would just be kind of an upward sloping, ebb and flow type approach. Now, when you're incredibly diversified, you are, by design, having a boring portfolio. There's certainly going to be sectors of your portfolio that at times seem to be doing incredibly well, but you're always going to have that piece that if you didn't have it, you'd actually be doing better. The problem, of course, is you don't know when these things are going to perform. They're just going to happen when they do. So, for example, if you take uh, 2017, 2017 was a year that overall was pretty good for investment markets, but it was especially good for international markets, far better than it was for U.S. So if you were an international-only investor last year, you would have rocked. I mean, you would have probably been well over 20%. However, if you own them both, your returns clearly were getting closer to you know, 10 12%, depending on the percentages by which you own them. And if you had bonds in your portfolio, well, you know, because bonds are, were relatively flat last year, you know, you might have finished the year with a high single-digit rate of return. Again, it all depends on the percentages by which you invested. Now, hindsight being what it is, sure, if you could go back in time and stick all the money in the international sector, you would have done great. In fact, there's probably a stock or two within that international sector that really did well. So imagine if you had the hindsight of going back then and putting your money into just that one stock. Well, of course you can't, but it's human nature to think that. Now, the other part of human nature is to assume that current performance will continue into the future. So if somebody looks at a diversified portfolio, and this year, a diversified portfolio is probably a break-even portfolio. U.S. stocks are up a little bit, but internationals are not, and bonds are relatively flat. So if you're going to own them both in your portfolio, you may find, or all three of them in your portfolio, you may find that your rate of return is flat for the year. Does that mean you're doing something wrong? No, absolutely not. It's a short-term issue. It's a snapshot in time. Remember that. It's very easy to look at that part of, the, of those three components, U.S. stocks, international stocks, fixed income, and assume that, you know, maybe I should just own the one that's performing well now. But just understand this, though. It was performing well in the past. So just because year to date, it's at whatever it's at. Let's say year to date, one of your asset classes is up 7%. There's no momentum to that. There's no logic to assume that that's going to continue to 7% next quarter. But that's human nature. Human nature always wants to go for what's hot now and just naturally assume that we can prorate those results in the future. You cannot. Now, one of the worst things you can do when it comes to your portfolio, in my opinion, is to talk about it with others. The quickest way to determine if you think you're going to do something wrong or at least get the idea you're doing something wrong is to share your data with somebody else, somebody else who doesn't really know what they're doing. So there'll be always be at, at one person at a party who'll talk about how he's stuck a significant amount of his money in one stock or in one asset class and is making a killing right now. Now, that's misleading on so many fronts. First of all, you don't even know if what he told you was true. And then second of all, the results have already occurred. 
So again, to just assume that it's going to continue to go forward is not logical, and yet people do it all the time. You know, having done this for a number of years, we have many clients where they've started with a million dollars, we've given them a million dollars, and they still have a million dollars. Now, there were some years where they did incredibly well, and there were some years where they didn't do so well, but the volatility of their overall portfolio was dramatically lower than, say, if they had just put all their money in one asset class like large U.S., and that's what we're trying to do. So there's a price of diversification, and, and the price is that in a year, say, like this one, here we are in August of 2018, and you're starting to see you know, certain asset classes like maybe U.S. stocks outperforming international stocks. It's very easy to conclude that you should dump the international stocks. But in my opinion, that's the biggest mistake you could make. First of all, understand that two-thirds of the world's investments are outside of the United States. And secondly, no one's going to tell you in advance when the international stocks take off. Just look at last year. It's just a process. So to me, a well-designed portfolio is almost like a roulette table. Now, where I live in, in Cincinnati, I live downtown, and there's a casino two blocks away. I've been there one or two times, not since I've moved there, but over the years. In fact, I'm going back for a concert in about a month. Martina McBride is um, playing there. But anyway, I digress. If you ever watch the roulette table, it's very interesting. You know, the way roulette works is you get chips and there's all these numbers. You put a chip on whatever one you think is going to come up. And there's other side bets and there's other ways. You can bet colors. You can bet a third of the table, however you want to do it. And of course, if, you're, if you win, then you get a lot of chips. But if, if your chip doesn't come up, then it gets cleaned off the table. All right. Well, imagine in a diversified portfolio, imagine if instead of losing chips leaving the table, they stayed on. So in other words, imagine that you could put 36 chips, one on each number, all over the board. And then if your number comes up, so five comes up, great. You get the winnings on five. But the rest of the chips stay on there for the next round and the next round and the next round. And the point being is that eventually though those numbers come up. You can't lose. Well, that's essentially what we're trying to do with diversification, right? What we're trying to do is always be present so that wherever there's return, when it occurs, we win. But it does require patience. And again, as the opening quote said, you know, best things are worth waiting for. Consistent rates of return are worth waiting for, but they're not going to reveal themselves in the short run. So that's what's occurring right now in 2018. You may be looking at your portfolio and you may be thinking, ah, you know, these are you know, these are flat. Why should I have flat rate of return? Well, unless you wanted to assume all of the risk of one particular asset class, that may be the proper rate of return for you at this point in time. If you're only going to invest for one quarter, if you're only going to invest for one year, I have no idea how to help you. And please, you know, just don't take any of my advice if you're only looking to invest for one year. You know, if, if you're just trying to hit it big in a very short period of time, your guess is as good as mine. If you needed money, one year from now, I would tell you to keep it in cash because I wouldn't want you to suffer a decline if you need that money in such a short period of time. But diversification does work provided you are patient. It's like planting the seeds to grow a very large tree. It's going to take time and you're going to have some periods where the tree is growing faster than others. It's just the way it works. But digging up those seeds every few days isn't going to help the process at all. So many things in life being boring isn't necessarily fun, but when it comes to investing, I find in many cases it's the absolute right way to know that you're doing it correctly. 
It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. Time for this week's question of the week. These are questions that come from our listeners. So if you should ever want to submit a question, we'd love to hear from you. It's, it's quite simple. All you have to do is shoot me an email. Dan at MattsonAndCapril.com. And I'll be more than happy to research it. And if I can put it on the show, great. If not, I will respond to you directly. Or give me a call, 513-563-7526. So today's question comes from Pete. Pete's from Cincinnati. And he says, I'm 64 years old, retired. How much international stocks should I have in my portfolio? So this dovetails very well with what we were just previously discussing. First of all, again, Pete, I can't really give you specific advice on this. But let me give you some insights that might help. First of all, understand that in the world of stock investing, two-thirds of the world's equities are outside of the United States. Think about that. So if an investor says, I'm only going to invest in the U.S., they've already excluded two-thirds of the world. Now, I don't argue that the U.S. is the greatest country in the world and, and has the best economy in the world. But there are many places where you can capture returns. And the U.S. market does not produce returns in a consistent manner. Therefore, if you have other equities in your portfolio, there's a chance that a bad year here can be offset with an even better year somewhere else. Now, typically, the clients that we work with, when they're retired, we usually have about 20% of their portfolio in, in the international sector. And that is broken up between large and small. There's a percentage of emerging markets that's in there. Because the studies show us, the math shows us that by bringing that into the portfolio, it does create over time a higher and more consistent rate of return, or at least it creates the chances for that. The key here is not to try to time these things. You're never going to know when is the right time to get into a particular market. You'll be speculating, and I don't believe in speculation. I believe in investing. So it's important to understand that. Now, keep in mind, too, that you take a year like last year, 2017, internationals did very well. I, I think most indices were up over 20%. This year, 2018, I think most of them are down. They're actually negative. Now, if you combine that over two years, it looks pretty good. But just understand that when you have a sector like international doing really well, like they did last year, it's very important that you rebalance your portfolio. It's very important that you take some of that excess return and apply it to other parts of the portfolio that haven't done as well. So there should be a targeted percentage. So in our case, where I might have a client in 20% international, if it gets up to 26% because internationals are doing great in comparison to everything else, we'll bring them back to 20. We'll take that 6% and we'll apply it to other areas of their portfolio that aren't doing as well. This forces us to essentially sell when prices are high and buy when they're low. And that's obviously the whole idea behind it. So is there a role for international in your, in your portfolio? Yes, I, I think there clearly is a role for it. How much? It's gonna depend on your specific situation, but I have yet to be convinced that a US only portfolio makes sense. Uh, the evidence just does not bear that out. And that's becoming more and more obvious as time goes on. So great question, Pete. And uh, thank you for listening. It's now time for the problem solver segment of our show. And this is where I give you homework each and every week. So unlike some shows we just listen, I actually want you to take action. So I want you to do two things. The first of all is 
If you go to the podcast website, which is dancapril.com, D-A-N-C-U-P-R-I-L-L.com, you can download from today's show a article. Actually, I guess it, I guess it's an article. I got it from the SEC website, the Securities and Exchange Commission's website. And it's all about how to build your portfolio properly from a diversification standpoint, an asset allocation standpoint. So if it's from the SEC site, it's pretty good. They're in the business of helping consumers. And I actually found it to be quite helpful. It wasn't overly boring or dry. So first thing I'd like you to do is download that because this is a highly important topic. Most studies show that your returns are going to come from your asset allocation policy. The second thing I know I want you to do is I want you to get a real understanding about what you own. How much of your portfolio is in, say, international? How much of your portfolio is in U.S.? How much of it is in bonds? Now, if you don't know, that's not good. All right? That's a very telling problem. You don't want to be in that position. Find out. You may find as you do this research that so many of your investments, let's say you're in five or six different mutual funds, hypothetically, you may discover that a lot of those mutual funds are buying the same companies. You know what? That's not good either. Because now instead of being diversified, which you may be, is redundant. So this type of a homework exercise is going to be very, very good for you. So download the SEC article, read it, and then do a little research on your funds. Let's find out where you're at. If you have any questions on that, please feel free to reach out to me. 513-563-PLAN is my number. That's 513-563-7526. I'll be happy to steer you in the direction I think will be best for you. So that concludes another episode of Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Pete for submitting an excellent question. Again, if you should have any discussions or if you have any issues or questions that you would like to bring up to me, feel free to reach out. 513-563-PLAN is my number. I also want to suggest that uh, if you're listening to this show that you get a copy of our weekly newsletter. It's uh, sent via email. It's called Your Money Jigsaw. And you can get that at yourmoneyjigsaw.com. So it comes out every week. We scour the internet for the best in financial news. And we deliver it right to you every single Thursday. We also give you a link to the podcast. So if you'd like to have this show delivered right to your email inbox every single week, we can do that as well. It's yourmoneyjigsaw.com. Uh, the other thing I want to draw your attention to is our Retirement Rescue Toolkit. And this is a kit that has a lot of great information, a book we wrote, audio uh, CD, a few other pieces that discuss the steps that you can take towards getting a tax-free retirement. Uh, the book also gets into other problems and mistakes that people make. So if you'd like to get a copy of that, uh, just go to retirementrescuetoolkit.com and we'll be sure to get one out to you right away. So until next week, this is Dan Capril, and I want to thank you for listening to the Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Capril or about today's topic, visit matsonandcapril.com. And be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Dan Capril is an investment advisor representative of MPM Wealth Advisors and Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC. 
Both firms are registered investment advisors. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a private policy statement for either firm, call 800-353-7923.